1: Welcome back to Game of Thrones 2 Electric, Bukalua, Mr. Anthony. This week, Dr. Andrew Howe and I visit with Tyrion at King's Landing to see how he's faring in the Game of Thrones. Surprisingly, Andrew thinks that Tyrion may not be doing as well as is commonly thought. After that, Jim and I discuss our upcoming Fantasy Fantasy League and auction. All right, without further ado, here is Dr. Andrew Howe. Andrew, when you are reading Tyrion, do you hear Dinklage's voice?
2: Uh, it, it's it's kind of unfortunate, but that now that I now I do. I mean, I can't imagine anyone else in the role. Yeah. Uh, you know, I uh, read the majority of Tyrion's stuff before Dinklage, uh, uh-huh. but Dinklage has occupied that role. I think maybe more successfully than any other. Ca- you know, cast member from the HBO show.
1: What do you, how do you feel about? I mean, clearly he's, he's an amazing actor. How do you feel about the accent?
2: I, I guess it's never, never bothered me all that much. Um, and, and neither has it bothered me the fact that he doesn't really look like Tyrion. Mm-hmm. You know, Tyrion having much lighter hair, Tyrion having the mismatched eyes, which are, which are very mm-hmm. much focused on, on this, in this chapter, incidentally. Yeah. Uh, and, and also, I think it would have been very, very distracting to have his, uh, his nose missing, you know. Since the end of the second season, I, I think I'm glad that they gave him a a scar instead of. Uh, I mean, I think some things mm-hmm. are better visual. Uh, s- some things are better read, and other things are better mm-hmm. visualized. Mm-hmm. I think the, exa- uh, the example, the sort of the the, the famous example of that is uh, Gladriel plucking three hairs from her head to give to, to Gimli mm-hmm. uh, didn't translate well to to screen uh you know, having this beautiful yeah. elven Kate Blanchette reaching out and yeah. yanking, you know, tufts of her hair out and handing them to to Gimli the Dwarf. <laughs> uh and so they decided to have that happen off off camera, uh right. famously famously. So, you know, it's I,
1: amazing I, that I, anything was edited out at all.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, I'm I'm glad I'm glad that uh, they didn't make that choice to 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 stick strictly to the book. Uh-huh. Uh yeah the, you know the, the accents in Game of Thrones are I, I think the only one that really bugs me is is uh, Baelish's accent, which really seems to change over time. Yeah,
1: that one's really rough. But, both wonderfully complex characters who we meet in this chapter. Yes. Let let me uh, read the synopsis here. Tyrion breaks his fast with Pycelle, suffers no small talk, and commands him to send two copies of a letter to Dorne. Tyrion refuses to share the contents of the message and steals a bottle of some potion from the maester's shelf. After delegating several errands to Bronn, the acting Hand of the King meets with Littlefinger and promises him Harrenhal in exchange for an alliance with Lysa and the Vale. Finally, he meets with Varys. Varys has already guessed that Tyrion has led Pycelle astray, Tyrion lets Varys believe that he intends to send Tommen to Dorne and Marcella to the Vale. If I understand that correctly, uh, did I get anything uh, wrong in that synopsis, Andrew?
2: I, uh, I'm not. I don't recall that he uh, is going to send Marcella to the Vale at the end. I could be wrong on that, though. I mean, it, it is a very convoluted. It's web. a little
1: odd in that it was a little bit of like rhetorical jujitsu. Uh, by Tyrion, he doesn't really reveal much, but he lets Varys do all of the work and then kind of confirms it by not saying much.
2: Yeah, it certainly it certainly could be. I mean, of course, this is not the, the version that comes to fruition. So we'll never know. Right. For sure. Uh, and it is interesting. You know, why did he tell you know, I, it certainly occurred to me that he that he certainly believes that Picel is the is the mole. Yes. Because he tells Picel the correct version that he plans all along. Well, he doesn't tell Picel What he does is
1: he gives two versions of this letters and he assumes that Pycelle is probably going to open one of them. Right? Absolutely.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I guess technically he doesn't tell Picel but he, he knows exactly what he's doing and what will happen. Uh, and... Uh, he puts the, he entrusts the uh, the version that he plans to to follow mm-hmm. with, with with Pycelle, which I think to me uh, means that he's the one that he suspects has been giving information to to Cersei.
1: Okay, so let me just read this little bit here. If I were the prince, something more I would require before I should reach for this honeycomb. "'Some token of good faith, some sure safeguard against betrayal, "'there smiled his slimiest smile. "'Which one will you give him, I wonder?' Tyrion sighed. "'You know, don't you?' "'Since you put it that way, yes, Tommen, "'you could scarcely offer Marcella to Dorne Martell and Elisa Arryn, both. "'Remind me never to play these guessing games with you again, you cheat. "'Prince Tommen is a good boy. "'If I prime away from Cersei... And Joffrey, while he's still young, he may even grow up to be a good man. And good king? Question mark. Joffrey is king. And Tommen is heir, and should anything ill befall his grace, Tommen, whose nature is so sweet, and notably tractable. You have a very suspicious mind, Varus. I shall take that as a tribute, my lord. So anyway, in this passage, it looks as if Varus knows both what Pycelle knows and what Littlefinger knows in a very short amount of time because he, he seems to know what Tyrion has suggested about both the veil and, and to Dord Martell
2: yeah, he could be he could be bluffing, uh, but I it does seem like his network in other chapters uh, bears a similar fruit that he knows things mm. almost imme- almost immediately. I mean, Catelyn Stark gets off the ship right. and they're already waiting for her uh, in the first book. You know, she tries to enter in disguise. Right. You know, it certainly occurred to me, and I think your interpretation of that passage begs the question: Is it really Pyssel that? Uh, Mm. You know, I think it is. I think if you read a couple chapter Tyrion chapters into the future, uh Pycelle essentially almost admits that he he tries to deny it at first and then mm-hmm. towards the end he said, "Well, I was only trying to help the Lannisters." But, you know, it certainly begs the question could could somebody who knows that information like uh Varys clearly does, he could have leaked one of their versions to Cersei uh to sort of root them out as the mole if he really was the mole. Uh, so there, there's a little bit of sort of spycraft going going on, you might say, and uh, maneuvering for position. Right. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I think Tyrion is very clever, but uh, he's not the only one playing these types of games.
1: Yeah, Tyrion seems confident that this little honey trap is going to reveal to him who he can trust and who he, who he can't trust. I don't know if it actually proves... That the other two are trustworthy. I think it just proves to him, I know for a fact I can't trust Pysel. trust this guy, yeah, yeah. Uh, which, it, as you it, say, he probably suspects anyway.
2: Yeah. Now, there's two terms for this. Uh, it, it, I did a little bit of research, and I, I seem to remember it was it's interesting. i I remembered the sort of the fictitious name first, which is actually the one that's now become used, which is canary trap.
1: Right, right, right.
2: I seem to recall in reading Tom Clancy when I was, you know, going through a uh, Tom Clancy f- phase when I was about, you know, fourteen or sixteen. As we all do. Right? <laughs> yeah. Before before I grew up and uh, yeah. started uh, thinking differently about American foreign policy, it, it came from a few of his books, Canary Trap. Uh, it was actually there's actually a a, a correct term or a, when I say a real real world term. In American spycraft, it's called barium meal, which oh. is a very strange. It doesn't really r- roll off the tongue like canary trap.
1: So can you? Did you say barium meal or neal?
2: Meal. Oh. And one way they used to, you know, image people to try to look for things like bowel obstru- obstructions and and whatnot is they would irradiate some fu- piece of food, uh, oh. uh, and then you'd eat it. And then they'd take images at you know maybe 20 minutes 40 uh, minutes 60 yeah. minutes and they would sort of they'd be able to through the uh i guess iridescence i'm not i'm yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a historian i'm not a scientist uh, but they would be able to sort of see where the blockage was and it would, these were called barium meals barium was felt to be safe as an irradiated substance so they would basically mm-hmm. you know i don't know take a brownie and bake barium right. into it and Give it to you, and
1: yeah. And the only would, way that that would work is if you get the person to eat it.
2: it, it yeah, you you have to get them to to, to uh, jump at the cheese, uh, which yeah, yeah. certainly Picel does, and that's what was that's the term that was used throughout the Cold War was uh, barium meal. Huh, huh. Uh, I like Canary Trap better <laughs> myself, <laughs> you know, because sure, every, every, everyone sings a different song. I think is is probably the etymology behind uh, behind that that phrase now.
1: Yeah, yeah, all right, right. There is some reference to, you know, birds and singing in this chapter. And there's a couple references. Both Varys has birds who sing to him. And then, and then, um, Littlefinger says, yeah, I could sing this song to Lysa, but why should I, right? So there is, uh, there is a reference, but I don't think that the term canary trap is used in this chapter.
2: No, no, that, that's one that, uh, if it is a reference it's a subtle reference i mean he doesn't come out and say it and I, i'm not 100% sure that we can read into it that that he even knew of that i mean it's a concept that was that predates the cold war sure uh, but yeah with with two different references to birds uh, knowing martin it could be a very mm-hmm. subtle reference to um, to Tom clancy
1: so yeah i like this so you basically the idea is you send out various bits of misinformation into the world and
2: uh, see where it pops up. <laughs> yeah, you you tailor it and uh, see see who who takes the bait, and um, it doesn't. He doesn't have to wait very long. And I I think we see in this chapter Tyrion as a a master chess player. Uh, well, I mean, if you want to get
1: literal, he's he's adept at the craft of spying. This his spy craft is equal to that of. Of the others basically
2: you know because you, you see this but you also see him you know swipe the potion that mm. I, you know it's never established but it, I think the implication is this is the what he later introduces into Circe's food <laughs> to you know basically give her a massive bout of diarrhea so that that she's incapacitated and he can assign her personal guard to escort right uh Lord Eddard's bones to river run and, and secretly infiltrate a few operatives in to try to rescue Jamie, you know, but we we also uh-huh. see that, that I think he's not quite the master. I mean, that whole plan backfires spectacularly and they all get hung. They all get you know killed. If I remember correctly, And uh, it just, it, it, you know, he also, I think is a little too free with his information with, with Varys. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. he's planning to to really do this canary trap correctly, you know. So we see evidence of him being a master chess player, and also maybe. Uh, I don't having know if l- he's free with Varys.
1: I think he lets Varys believe something uh, or other. But when Varus leaves, leaves his room, what Varus believes, at least on the surface, is that Tommen is going to Dorne.
2: Oh no, I don't question that. I I, I question. Yeah. The fact that, you know, it should be that the gig is up as soon as he realizes that Varys knows that he's planting three different stories. Mm. You know, Varys already knows that. So, I mean, maybe at that point he just can't say anything else because Varys already knows. But right. he essentially he essentially confirms it to Varys. I, I would just say, oh, your sources may or may not be mm-hmm. accurate, you know, but... Uh, uh, well, know, it's all Var- part of the
1: game. I think he does have this budding relationship with Varys, where they're kind of mutually respecting and offering mutual shows of respect to yeah, each other.
2: It, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I I remember this more from the show, uh, probably because in hindsight they end up on the road to to Marine and they end up mm-hmm. in Marine, and you know, the, 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 there's a sort of a, a much longer. um sort of friendship uh that develops there but in in reading some of the tyrian chapters for this book you know in preparation to talk about uh this particular Tyrion chapter i had forgotten the first time i I, I read this uh how how martin does establish this early and really works to bring it along as a as a sort of a uh, a small little narrative Mm -hmm. sort of collapsed within this bigger game of thrones
1: There's a couple Easter eggs in this, I shouldn't say Easter eggs, but there's a couple what could be seen as minor plot lines in this chapter that aren't part of the major thread, but might be a bigger deal. And the first one that I noticed is that Alistair Thorne (laughs) showed up with evidence of the undead and and Tyrion basically blows him off. he's like, "Ah, let him squirm. We'll let him sit for a while and stew in his own juices and,
2: and this is this is another reason why i I think that we get a hint that Tyrion may not be quite the power player you know number one, if the bear is gonna send someone on such a journey, it means mm-hmm. something you know I mean if you can't trust Alice Thorne, trust the uh trust Mormont mm-hmm. number two, you know, Alistair Thorne is, a, is, you know, both in the book and the TV show, is a singularly unhumorous individual. Mm. You know, I mean, <laughs> he's here on business. And yeah. if he's coming across an entire continent, it has to be pretty mm-hmm. important business. But Tyrion's so wrapped up in his, his uh, I got to root out this mole, that he, you know, ignores. I mean, uh, my memory is that by the time they finally get around to summoning Thorne, that the hand is completely rotted away and mm. it cannot be produced as evidence that uh, that there's reanimated corpses that are ready to, you know, overtake the the, the mm-hmm. South.
1: I wonder if this is a failure on Tyrion's part to, I mean, he's been to the wall, but I do think that he's he's made some friends up there, but I do think he's it's it's almost confirmed his bias that the wall is an insignificant fighting force doing insignificant things, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think he, he forms that opinion and, in you know, it says as much to Jon Snow uh, on the way North. I mean, I think mm-hmm. he already has that opinion even before he gets to the wall and cer- certainly his time on the wall, even though he enjoys the company of Mormont and kind of comes to like Jon Snow doesn't dissuade him from that, from that view.
1: Mm-hmm. And then you wonder, like, okay, this is all sort of a domino effect, but the reason why Alistair Thorne is sent south is because John Snow and him had a a tête-à-tête.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, if I remember correctly, the old bear claims, you know, I mean, he can't publicly state, you know, that I have this young up-and-comer that I want to groom for leadership that is having friction with this, you know, uh, mm-hmm. The reason he sends Alistair Thorne south is that Alistair Thorne used to be in King's Landing and was a member of uh, the Targaryen court, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And that the reason he's on the wall oh, is right. that he had to take yeah. the black after Robert's rebellion uh, because he'd been a royalist. Right. You know, so the, the, there's a sort of a complexity to all mm-hmm. of this. And you're right. Uh, Martin does this in every single chapter. I mean, there's, alt- there's always multiple layers mm-hmm. of the onion mm-hmm. to peel.
1: That's right. Now, the other thing that I noted in this chapter that uh, is significant is that when Tyrion is talking with Littlefinger, Littlefinger pulls out the Valyrian steel knife. Yeah. And it just says, uh, you know, have a look at it. It's yours. It's your is, is, Isn't it yours? You know, he said. <laughs> and Tyrion just thinks how brazen of this man to lay bare his motives and he thinks this guy doesn't care if I know he does not care if I know that he betrayed me to lady cat and and that's how untouchable he feels right now. And of course Tyrion doesn't take the bait. He just moves right on to the Heron hall, uh, misdirection. Um, and it's almost like he's thinking I, I concede the bait. I'm not going to take it because I've, I've got my own bait to hook.
2: Yeah, I you know, I had completely forgotten about the the sort of rubbing his yeah. nose in the whole dagger uh episode and I was very surprised by that. Uh you also get this kind of extended section, you know, it's like it's a full paragraph or two uh where Tyrion in, in the middle of his conversation with Baelish uh sort of thinks about man, this this guy's really, you know, he he sort of thinks about uh, about Littlefinger's career tra- yeah. trajectory. In the last 10 you know, essentially Mm -hmm. since Robert's Rebellion uh, and, uh, you know, concludes this guy's way more dangerous than I thought. And I think that might have even been before he pulls out the dagger.
1: Yeah, we do get kind of a a reintroduction to Baelish's backstory,
2: right? You you sort of get the idea that he already has a network ready to go should uh, he... Either get Harrenhal or get control mm-hmm. of the Vale, or maybe eventually get con- control of King's Landing.
1: And right? I think that this is one of the the main differences between Tyrion and Ned. In the first book, we King's Landing was in, introduced to us through Ned's eyes, right? Mm-hmm. And he meets Littlefinger, and he cannot shake this idea that Littlefinger is this little boy who was warded at River Run who Catelyn eschewed and his brother basically maimed but let let live. And it's almost like the fact that Littlefinger is not a warrior of great stature makes him underestimate Littlefinger. And, you know, he seems a little uncouth to Ned. At the end of the day, I think he absolutely does underestimate Littlefinger. Tyrion is not going to make this mistake. He knows that people who don't look like warriors can be very, very dangerous. And so this is why he respects Varys. This is why he suspects Pycelle. And his account of Littlefinger is much different than Ned's account yes, of Yes, yeah, that's a good point. As we first meet Littlefinger through Ned's eyes, it's like, this is this guy's backstory. And it's a, it's a story of failure. When we meet Littlefinger, through Tyrion's eyes, this guy is more upwardly mobile than anyone else in this kingdom. In a very short amount of time, he came to court, found himself on the small council, seems very, very astute with money or making people believe that he's astute with money. And so you get a a much different impression of Littlefinger's trajectory through Tyrion's eyes.
2: Yeah, that his, his mind is very, very sharp. Uh, and is sort of almost can be a weapon. Yes. You know? Yeah. Uh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Tyrion
1: recognizes the 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 weaponized mind in a way that Ned could never recognize, right?
2: it's it's very interesting the way that I think that Baelish, uh, Varys and Pycelle all put on an act in order and but they do it in very different ways to try to get people to maybe not take them quite as seriously i mean mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or maybe not i mean everyone takes takes them seriously i guess but they they put on an act to try to project something but they do it in different ways i think Picel, you know it, it's more clear in the in the tv show but uh you know i think we see a we see a refrain of it in this in this particular chapter is that he, he he's his weakness and ineffectual. I mean, he's pretending to be sort of weak and bumbling. You know, mm-hmm. we, we see that he's very orderly in all of his potions and, and whatnot. Uh, he, his serving girl is a, a bed with him when, uh, when they pull him from bed and cut off his beard in and, in a couple of chapters, you know, he's not the sort of weak, bumbling kind of forgetful fool that he, that he no. makes out.
1: Also with Pycelle, he does come across as not having opinions of his own whenever he's in the small council he'll he'll really kind of parrot the view of whoever he wants to impress in the room and he really comes off as sort of a lickspittle which maybe he is a bit
2: oh i think so yeah absolutely but he
1: almost he almost presents as someone without uh, ambition mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which you know, anyway, anyway. So that's kind of how he projects, and of course, Varys is projecting as as maybe more feminized than he really is.
2: Yeah, I, I would say a, a very a sort of an effeminate uh, portrayal. Uh, and, and again, it's an Aeryn, or I think in a, in a, in a, it's usually an a Tyrian chapter where we see he's been sort of down under. You know walking around underneath king's landing and and he's he's wearing a, a mm-hmm. metal helmet and boiled leather and he has stubble mm-hmm. and he looks more muscular you know i mean Tyrion's like oh it's almost like he's a different person so you know he's sort of i we're always being told that he's uh powdered perfumed and plump mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh when he's out in the moving around the red keep and whatnot whereas when he's underground. He's wearing different clothing. You can see that he's actually quite muscled. Yeah, and he's not actually stubble.
1: He doesn't just like dress the part. He will like, he'll walk differently.
2: He'll he'll like. He walks differently. He carries a crossbow. Yeah, and and, and clearly he's he he comes to feel comfortable enough showing that in front of in front Mm -hmm. of Tyrion. Uh, And then, um, you know, going the complete uh, opposite direction is uh, Littlefinger. Uh, I think in this chapter he's wearing a plum-colored doublet uh, with a yellow satin cape. I mean, it sounds Mm -hmm. like he's you know Batman or Robin or something. He's wearing (laughs) gloves and red leather boots. Mm -hmm. You know, he's being as ostentatious as possible. And but I think that also leads people sometimes to diminish him. I mean, part of it is the sort of the laboring under the yoke of being born uh, to to poverty and Mm -hmm. not you know having this incredible mind and having these kind of dullard, you know, uh, you know, like he calls it, I think he calls them Dullard Starks at one point, mm-hmm. uh, you know, being born into wealth and privilege and, and, you know, having their future set, whereas he has to, he has to scrabble for it. But I, I think part of the the dressing up is not about, you know, this, this sort of class consciousness that he, you know, hyper-class consciousness that he has. I think it's also to get people to diminish him a little bit and kind of view him as a fop,
1: and I, th- I really uh, think that he's presenting as a pimp.
2: Yes, yeah, exactly. I mean,
1: yeah. not, not only because he's dressed as such, but also because he gets Ned to underestimate him by making him think this guy is so carnal. This guy is, you know, so driven by his carnal desires that, you know, he fails to be, you know, a very serious man. So he's all about he's all about sex and clothing and he's 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 into the money of it When all of that is a guy's he's not really into any of that what he's into is power he's yes. got massive ambition that he's disguising with kind of this um i don't know sort of uh, dirty and um Smutty, uh... yeah he's, he's 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 presenting as a little smutty guy. And of course, you can always sort of you know, choreograph what that guy kind of person is going to do.
2: Yeah. There, you know, when Picel clearly opens the letter, the, you know, the, the the, two letters for Rand mm-hmm. Mar- uh, Martel, it, it, it is sort of a, it, it does sort of connect to a couple of things involving the other two characters. I think it's in a later Tyrion chapter in Clash of Kings where. Varys gives his backstory to Tyrion about Mm. when he was cut and how he survived. And he says, I soon came to learn or or something along these effects. I soon came to learn that the contents of uh, the, the letters of important men were more valuable than the contents of their purse, you know? And so, but, but we also get the same thing. I mean, one reason why Littlefinger likes brothel so much is He gets secrets from people, you know, and this is why he goes for high-end brothels, I think. I mean, I, you know, number one, because he can, he has money. But number two, he's more interested in what might come spilling out of the mouth of... Yeah,
1: he's he's trafficking in pillow talk as much as he is in... Yes,
2: high-class pillow talk from important people that he might be able to gain leverage over.
1: Right, 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 right. Yeah, people, uh, I guess let let down there you know you're in you're in a brothel you're getting drunk you're you know you're letting down your hair in a way that you aren't in other
2: places certainly a lot of the early criticism of game of thrones the tv show for you know the the the, the what was the sex position sexplanation? yeah yeah sex position yeah. yeah you know a, a few of those were were in balish's brothels in king right, right. yeah uh and in, and i can't remember if it's in the early seasons or later seasons we actually see Littlefinger as a voyeur sort of watching uh sex acts mm-hmm. through a peephole and and to me that that's not realistic to the the uh martin's uh vision of who Littlefinger is and why he has brothels i mean i think it's very very clear that he is interested in three women has <laughs> only ever been interested in three women: mm-hmm. uh, Catelyn, uh, Liza to a lesser extent, and, and Sansa. Um, but they 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 kind of made him smutty for Smuddy for for smutty's sake, if that's a mm-hmm. a, a phrase that we can use I, I, in the TV show. Whereas I think in the books, it's very consistently been he has no interest in in, in, in sex in brothels. Uh his his interest in brothels is all about money and power.
1: I had a guest on and she was saying that she doesn't think Littlefinger even has any interest in, in the these women at all.
2: Could be, yeah. And I mean... his
1: his interest in Kat is not necessarily to, you know, to win her hand or win her heart, uh but to get even. And he <laughs> he wants revenge more than anything. In this chapter, basically Tyrion is able to tempt him with hair and all. Because Harrenhal is such a massive landholding that River Run occupies his shadow, and that that's what really want. That's what he really wants.
2: Well, I, I think I think actually Tyrion, you know, Harrenhal is is the the Sunday, but I think the cherry on top is I think Tyrion actually does say that you will be Lord Paramount. You know the, the, that that right. title will will shift from River Run to, right. uh, so that you will be answering it. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting concept. Uh, that cat was at the root and at the site of his greatest humiliation and, and greatest disempowerment, and that maybe possessing her and if he can't possess her, possessing her sister and possessing her daughter might be ways of sort of writing mm-hmm. the ledger uh and that he views ultimately even these women that he claims to put on a pedestal as nothing more than objects and you know is completely narcissistic in his mm-hmm. drive for power uh i'm not 100 sure i agree with that but i think that is a i i, I can definitely see why that argument was made and I, can, yeah. I can see a lot of support for it i yeah. think
1: that you could see something i mean look you could read little fingers Littlefinger's origin story in two different ways. You could read it as here's a man whose love was unrequited, and he's going to do whatever he can to finally play the long game to consummate his his desires for Cat or his, or Cat's daughter or whatever. Right? Yeah, um yeah. So he's a loser, but in the end, he's going to win. Or you could read it like here's a man who was belittled. By these high lords and ladies. And he is going to do whatever he can to play the long game to, the, in the end, go from loser to winner so that they are all underneath him. And so in, in one way, he's he's driven by unrequited love. In another way, he's, he's driven by being humbled and humiliated. And I think I think it works. I I I'm I'm starting to think it's probably the second. I I mean I I really do think that.
2: And, you know I mean it's probably both. I mean they're both probably part of why he's doing this. I think right. I mean,
1: I mean my, my I guess my if I was going to argue for this I would say, do I see a major shift in his character once Cat dies? And I would say nope, He's basically, his designs his schemes are uh you know only only ever get more pronounced
2: after but cat but has gone. he has he transferred that over to to, to sansa at that point right. as a sort of a younger yeah. version of cat who can still you know who can bear possibly bear children i mean right.
1: you know and when, maybe we, we looks this... more like a young cat than even than, than cat does <laughs> almost. <you know? laughs> sure. yeah. i yeah. mean
2: we keep we, we're, we keep being told that sansa um, mostly, but also Rob looked like Tully's. Right. You know that that's very much uh, um, uh-huh. you know throughout the throughout the text. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you wonder about what is his what is his long term plan if he wants to to get control of as much of Westeros as possible. Uh, the, the the television show uh, indicates he has designs on the uh, Iron Throne. Uh-huh. I'm not sure the book goes quite that far, but you know he he should be thinking about succession, and if he is sansa would be you know a, a logical choice catelyn catelyn would not sure. uh, you know even before she even before she uh, she, uh she's murdered yeah uh you know and, and there are there are theories incidentally about whether or not Robin, robert aaron is the son of john aaron or peter baelish
1: How oh, interesting yeah
2: Huh. And because this whole he's weak, he's ineffectual, he's tiny, you know. I mean, there's a lot of language that that uh, sure. it, it sort of doubles the two of them.
1: Uh huh. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. That's very interesting. That's very interesting. W- was there anything else about this chapter that you noticed and you wanted to call out?
2: Yeah, certainly the uh, the the mismatched eyes uh, of Tyrion's, which are referenced throughout all the books. But they come up two or three times in this particular chapter, which I I, I found. To yeah, be interesting. he
1: knows that if he he knows that when he fixes those mismatch eyes on just a regular dude, that regular dude is going to feel unnerved by it, and he likes to sometimes use it to that effect.
2: Yeah, absolutely, he does with Picel and Picel cannot look him in the eye. Mm-hmm. But then he notes almost disquietingly that. Littlefinger has no problem looking him directly uh-huh. in the eye. You know, I mean and I think this is almost a visceral you know, he he's sort of intellectually coming to the notion that Littlefinger is a dangerous, dangerous player, and this almost confirms that, you know, that hey, he can look mm-hmm. me in the eye, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is which is kind of kind of interesting. I, I, I think the whole digression with Lady Tanda. <laughs> uh, or Tonda, or however you pronounce it. Yeah,
1: no, again, again, yeah, this is clearly a, a book-only uh, detail, but c- continue, yeah. yeah.
2: Well, I mean, it's just, you, you, we get this idea that, you know, he is kind of competing with these three, you know, King's Council members, small council members. It's sort of outmaneuvering each other while Stannis is mm-hmm. sort of, you know, Stannis and Renly are off, kind of in the ether. This is what's driving a lot of this, uh, doing their own sort of political military maneuvers. And then we have a third maneuver, which is the this sort of game of of game of brides or game of grooms uh-huh. or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> it's a wonderful. There's there's two of my favorite quotes in this. Uh, one of them is uh, where he says to Pod Podrick Payne, "It unnerves me when." You, when you talk to my codpiece, especially when I'm not wearing one. <laughs> uh, but the Lady Tanda is that he stalked him with a never ending arsenal of lamp- lamprey pies, which I think is, a, uh, you know, I think, I think uh, Martin's very clearly connecting these military maneuvers mm-hmm. to these political maneuvers, to these maneuvers that are, are still taking up time. I mean, Tyrion has to, you know, they're relying on, on the Stokeworths, I think for, for a lot of their um produce if i remember correctly a lot of their they are. a lot of their food yeah, yeah. yeah so he can't not go he can't not go and eat with this woman even even though he knows that she's trying to marry he, she's trying to marry him off to her 35 year old daughter well not so only that, that
1: but he knows why he knows that because lawless is uh dull-witted Yes, that for some reason that makes her a good match with him because he looks, because of what the way he looks, because of his stature, because of his
2: disability. Yeah, sort of like an island of mismatched, uh, misfit yes, toys. That's right. Uh, type reading, I mean, you know, it's just a, it's like a single paragraph, but it it really kind of meshes well. You know, at first I thought oh, this is you know it's just kind of for humor no it's not just for humor i mean the, the, there is a real sort of uh parallelism to what to to what's uh, happening and, and and furthermore i think there are a few subtle references to the french mm. uh revolution oh, uh and the lead, lead up to the french revolution in this in this chapter and i think this is one of them i mean th- at one point he says i think it's right towards the end uh they want bread not promises it, uh-huh. is uh-huh. actually it's closer to the beginning of the chapter it's right after they're talking about uh, Lady Tanda's table and all the food that she puts on and the fact that she's it, it, it's her castles one of the two ca- uh, you know her land is one of the it's the Rosby and the Stokeworth lands that are providing all this food uh-huh. and then immediately there's this pivot into into these poor starving peasants and then later uh, uh, fairly soon after we get this reference to Joffrey shooting rabbits and uh, they they keep escaping and, and mm-hmm. peter Baelish is all oh maybe maybe people will be eating rabbit uh you know <laughs> there's there's all this reference to food and you know mm-hmm. this is i think it's in two chapters or maybe three chapter tyrion chapters where we get the riot um that's right that's right in in the city which which of, of course lawless stokeworth is brought back into that whole thing you know so there's that connection again so you know i i think martin does all this very very intentionally Uh, He's making these connections between the Stokeworth's food marriage and that problem for Tyrion that he's being sort of stalked by is sort of um, quote unquote solves itself in the most horrible way possible in that, you know, that's no longer going to happen after that, that whole incident. Um, But uh, you know, the, the sort of food marriage politics and violence are sort of introduced in this chapter. And then, you know, there's there's multiple resolutions in, in this kind of horrible uh, spate of violence.
1: Mm. Notable introductions. Um, we uh, hear about uh, Holony the Pyromancer for the first time in this chapter. And, of course, uh, we know that Pyromancers are going to be integral to the uh, the defense of King's Landing. Um, we also... the the Rose Road is named for the first time, which is interesting to me because, you know, of course, these roads to different places in the kingdom have to have names. Uh, we've heard about the King's Road over and over and over and over, um, but surely... You know the road from High Garden has to has to be named, right?
2: So, anyway. I think I think it's a, a a symbol that they don't really play a role in the first book, and um, you know, really are are coming into their own in the second book, and yeah. really won't emerge and mm-hmm. as a full power until the third. There's it hasn't really mm-hmm. been much reason to talk about High Garden.
1: No notable departures in this uh, chapter, but uh, show differences. Um. I noted that there's this, you know, Littlefinger is sort of looking out the window and was looking at Joffrey try to shoot hares, which you just mentioned. And he's trying to do this with a crossbow. And so that's not in the show, but uh, what they did was they brought in. There, there's this little scene where Marjorie is trying to woo Joffrey, and he's in his room playing with a crossbow. So I think that, that that scene was probably inspired by this particular detail about how Joffrey's using a crossbow in the in the courtyard.
2: Interesting thing, I don't remember if it's in this Tyrion chapter or if it's in I think it might be in this one where it's clear that Tyrion gave him a crossbow uh that shoots three ah. three bolts at once whereas I think in the show it's um I think it's Littlefinger that gives him the, the crossbow, if I remember correctly, which he mm-hmm. then uses to kill Roz, who's trying to, you know, who's an agent uh, in the, in the show. Yeah. In, she's,
1: yeah. She's spying. For Varys, you know, yeah. I, I don't know if, I don't know if Joffrey knows that. I just think that, yeah, I mean, of course she's, she's a show only creation or whatever, but I think what, what the show is trying to tell us with that is that Joffrey has gone full psychopath.
2: Well, yeah. yeah. No, there's there, uh number one that, uh, uh, that he's gone full psychopath, but number two, there's the implication if if he doesn't come out and say it that he plants the seed in Joffrey uh, and then provides him the the mm. uh, the the, uh, the victim you might say, and the mm-hmm. victim that he mm-hmm. provides is a victim that he knows has been turned by Varys Got to it. give him information about what Littlefinger's planning. So he kills two birds with yeah, one and stone. I, he he, endure, he endears himself to, to to Joffrey by providing this, you know, sure. I think he calls it a fresh experience, which is a horrible, uh, you right. know, I mean, that's the moment where we realize. Uh,
1: if I remember correctly. I don't think I caught that before, but that would make sense if like Peter's good at reading people like he Peter knows Peter Baelish knows that this is where Joffrey's going. And so he provides that experience for Joffrey knowing that he will rid himself of Roz at the same yeah,
2: time, yeah, sort of, and also endear himself to Joffrey. It's in the the chaos. Uh, chaos is a ladder speech. In uh, I think it's right, the fourth right, season right. Of, of the TV show, and I think it's at that point that we realize that we're supposed to root for Baris, but not for, but not for, not for Littlefinger. Uh-huh. If we hadn't already figured it out,
1: Andrew Howe, thank you so much for your time today. This was a delightful chapter, and man, just. Just jam-packed
2: with details. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Uh, always a pleasure.
1: And now Throwback Thursday with comic Steve Osborne. <laughs> Maester Pycelle gets his beard chopped off.
3: Yeah, he does. That whole, I mean, the Tyrion sequence where he's got all three of... Yeah. that's yeah. That's good stuff.
1: Yeah, he's got a little canary trap going with the members of the small council.
3: And it's good for... Multiple reasons, obviously is like he unearthed the mole, right object number priority you know priority number one, but priority number two also says hey, you guys consider yourselves pretty sneaky, and that's kind of like your that's your jam
1: yes, he's sort of putting them on notice,
3: each one of you thinks you're smarter than the other, especially me, uh I got gotcha. you yeah. Yeah, Baelish is just like like so. He's just kind of going through the list of like things that are not going to happen now. That uh, <laughs> and Tyrion so just
1: I'm not going to get a castle.
3: <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Tyrion's just imp spreading and just like no, nope, not so much. <laughs> just so good. And uh, the
1: exchange where he says, "Cut off his manhood and feed it to the goats." Yeah, <laughs> and Timot says, "There's no goats." Well, make do.
3: That's <laughs> so, it's so good.
0: <laughs>
1: so, Jim, I've been thinking about this fantasy fantasy league that we're creating. Mm-hmm. And I could use your help in thinking through the finer points of these teams that we're constructing. Okay. Basically, at this point, using the a few few different people's ideas, we've come up with position categories. Now, if this was sort of like a football league, it'd be like you know one or two quarterbacks, you know that kind of thing right <laughs> uh so here's I'll just read them to you and and see if these sound interesting or if we're leaving something out or too much or too little. So one undisputed member of team black. One undisputed member of Team Green. Sure. Okay. Uh I think I think one of each at least.
0: Yeah, I mean I would prefer not to have any Team Green on my team, but you know. Yeah. I'll, I'll abide by the rules. <laughs>
1: every now every now and again a, a Team Green will surprise <laughs> you. <laughs> uh all right. So then I suggested one blondie and one not blondie. Uh huh. Um that's pretty. It's pretty obvious who's blonde and who's not blonde, right? So, but I thought I would expand the what this cat the not blondie category. Technically speaking, a dragon is not a blondie.
0: Okay. Yeah. All right. I agree with
1: Technically that. Technically speaking, if you're bald, you're not blonde, right?
0: Hmm. All right. Now we have a debate. <laughs>
1: you think all bl- all bald people are blonde?
0: <laughs> no 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 but what i mean they have hair just maybe not on the tops of their heads i think um, okay
1: if you're full cue ball could that be not blondie uh,
0: okay i hmm. yeah you might have some team members wanting to pick some bald people i I'm trying to think like if it, like say i wanted to pick ferris i know he's not in the show mm-hmm. but uh if i wanted to pick Varys for my team I mean, he has a color of hair. It's just his hair is not present right now. <laughs> yeah,
1: I would say he used to have a color of hair. <laughs> uh, Verus, Verus hmm. to me is a clear example of a not blondie. Uh,
0: I don't. Okay, so it would just make them ineligible as a blondie, not that you couldn't pick them overall. So I would say
1: someone like okay, so Tywin in the books has blonde hair on the sides, but he's got sort of classic male pattern baldness up top. Mm -hmm. I think at that Mm -hmm. point, yeah, he's blonde. Yeah, he's got blonde hair on the sides. You could also sort of say someone had, like, blonde whiskers but bald on top.
0: What about people who are old enough that the blonde has faded and now they just have gray or white hair?
1: That See, now you're... Now you're talking my language, is gray hair <laughs> a blonde? I,
0: my dad, mm. my, so
1: my dad's classically Italian. Mm-hmm. Um, he, you know, his hair is pretty well white now, and Mine too. all right, so but I don't think of him as a blondie because his sort of the the Italian ideal in my head is that he's a brunette. Mm-hmm. This sort of goes to, it seems to go to the the point you were making.
0: Right. I'm trying to muddy the waters so that if I wanted to choose someone who should be uh-huh. blonde, but uh-huh. is bald. All right. All right. Lenore, all
1: right? Him. So Lenore's not dead. He's li- living happily in Essos, right? And in order to stay incognito, because everyone thinks he's dead, Lenore must have either died or shaved uh, his head, right?
0: Okay. Okay. So,
1: th- so th- this this kind of gets down to the the basic question: Is Lenore, you know, historically platinum blonde? Is he a blondie or a not blondie? Mm-hmm. And you're saying that that's ambiguous.
0: I think so. I think so. <laughs> okay. Then, we, then we would. Try, I think
1: we'd have to come up with a. But you're call. making
0: the rules. <laughs> Yeah. You're you're gonna you're gonna ultimately, I think, be the arbiter I don't of this. Or think the so. I think will, I'm gonna you know? leave this to Evan. I think it's sort of like if
1: Evan and the triarchy decide okay. to make a, a ruling on this, I'll abide by the ruling for sure.
0: But Perfect. All right. So, but these are the arguments we need to present them.
1: Yes. Okay. So the other thing I thought we could do with that category not blondie was to that's where we incorporate Aaron's the field. So yeah. he came up with this idea that if If there's not anyone selected on anyone's team, but someone says Drakaris, that's just in the episode, and you took the field, then you get the points for that, right? Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, the not-blondie, instead of sort of choosing sort of one brunette character, you could take the field that's not blonde. But then you run into the trouble that maybe the person that who says that word is blonde. Right. Cause they're part of the subset of the field. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out how to incorporate the field into this. And I'm wondering if that works. Well, I mean, you
0: could, you could just rule for the purposes of the field that blondies don't matter. Yeah, I, that, right? be I mean, my if you're Yeah. Okay. All right. So then
1: we have, all right. So we've got, Team Black, Team Green, one Blondie, one not Blondie, one Dragon. Yeah. And this has to be a non-human Dragon, okay? Uh,
0: well, wh- oh, okay. That's surprising to me. Why? Um, I guess as a non-book reader, I wasn't aware that there were human dragons, unless you're talking about just generic I didn't want Targaryens. people to come
1: and say, well, Targaryens are the blood of the dragon, or whatever, and okay, I, I wanted okay. to be pretty clear. When we're talking about dragons, we mean, like, a reptilian
0: monster. Okay, right? yeah. <laughs> uh, how about a dragon that can fly? Would that do it?
1: <laughs> I don't know. I think that there's possibility of, like, a sea dragon, or whatever. I'm, I don't know. Oh, um, okay. Alright, so, okay, so dragon seems pretty clear to me. Alright, next one is... Mm-hmm. This is sort of standard in fantasy leagues. It'd be like a wild card or you'd say utility player. So it'd be a way to be like if you're fantasy baseball, I've already got a second baseman, but I have this category called utility player. I'm going to select a second second baseman, um, slot them in at utility player. So what I in order to be world specific, I'm calling this category one stranger. Okay. And this could be any character, blonde or not blonde, dragon. This could you could choose an approved phrase here, or you could choose the field here. So it's basically okay. it, it brings a little bit of strategy to this because if I like, if I wanted to, I could just keep on piling on the blondies, <laughs> mm-hmm. right, and created uh, you know a sort of a paucity of blondies for other people, right. So,
0: um, what do you think about this? So this is. Hmm. I'm not sure I understand like the distinction between utility player and just like other picks. You know, you have to have your minimum number of blondie, not mm-hmm. blondie. Team green, team black dragon. Um, what is the distinction between the utility player and just another pick that I would make? Yeah.
1: So in order to to come up with your starting lineup, mm-hmm. you can have one member of team black. That's it. Right, and if you, if you want to include another member, oh, there's a limit
0: yeah. on the number you can field. That's okay, right. if you want to come
1: that. up with another member of Team Black, you would have to say this he this this other character does not is Team Black, but they I'm fielding this character as a blondie because they're a blonde and Team Black. Right, gotcha. That makes sense. This stranger category allows you to say, yes, I know that I've already satisfied Team Green or team black or blondie or whatever. I'm not fielding this player as that. I'm slotting this person into my stranger category.
0: Yep. Okay. Okay. I like And that. then
1: I think that this might, I mean, if, if you wanted to, if you really thought that like dragons were the big point getters, you could say, I'm going to take two dragons and, mm-hmm. and that, that creates fewer dragons for the rest of the teams. Right. So, and then the the other three things that you've got to do is three approved phrases. So that would yes. give you 11 slots on your roster, nine of which you have mm-hmm. to field each episode. Okay. All right. Am I missing something? Is this too much? Should we be – does this leave enough – there are six teams. Is this going to – is there going to be enough – characters for
0: each Ooh. team i think so i think so you have six people on team black um it the undisputed clause of that might get difficult <laughs> sure. um but but I, I think we can go with it to start and then revisit it if we need to so i think that uh, if
1: if you really needed to, like, let's say you just lost out on all the players that you want, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If you really needed to field a team, the minimum, you could do it with just three characters, right? And, and here's how it would go. You'd go, you know, you'd select a character for Team Black, a character for Team Green, a Blondie. For your not-blonde category, you could field the field, Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the dragon is not human. And the, for the stranger, you could f- go with an approved phrase or the field or a dragon or whatever. And then the phrases are not characters. So I think yeah. that even if you were only able to sort of win the bid of three characters, you could still field the team.
0: Yeah, we'll see. I, I think there are enough characters to to leave them at least one option to satisfy these these criteria.
1: Okay. The only other thing I wanted to talk to you about was, what is your relationship with auctions?
0: Uh, eBay.com is about the extent okay. of my familiarity with auctions. Okay. <laughs> in fantasy football, I've, I've never participated in a fantasy league. So, so,
1: Aaron mentioned that in maybe in board game play, there might be an auction con- function in that?
0: Oh, sure, yeah. Like uh, So, I'm not
1: familiar with this. Would this be like a role-playing game, or what? how would this come about in a-
0: uh, typically like a board game. Um, typically a resource management game. You would say, okay, I need this particular resource, and so do two other people, and we're going to uh-huh. bid on it. And you know, the you're it's up to you to determine how important getting that particular resource is, and what you're willing to spend on it. Uh, in order so to. So, have get it. you ever been in a bidding war? Uh, sure. In that context, yeah. All right,
1: and and so what? Sort of what. <laughs> What's your mentality when you go into these things? Do you feel like oh, I can't can't get emotionally involved here? This is the, this is how I I'm evaluate very, yes. the, the resource and I'm not going above my price.
0: I I try to stick to that. I'm also a human being, so occasionally my emotions get the better of me, but I think it, I'm very much stats and math focused when okay. it comes to this stuff. So I say you know here here's the value of this particular let's say in this team member to me and if i have to spend more than that i would rather if if the math works out i would rather take a less valued member for my team and save those points to put into a more valuable member in this other category right so
1: i think that some people would say think more about the people at the table and less about the commodities on the mm, table. Right? Okay. So what I hear you saying, if you have you know, if
0: let's say play the player, yeah, yeah, not yeah. the game. If
1: you're thinking dispassionately, you're probably thinking mm-hmm. more about the resources than the commodities. And and of course that I think that, that there's virtue in that, right?
0: I, I certainly think so, yeah. <laughs> Let me
1: ask you this. so let's say you're at the table with Aaron and you've known Aaron forever. Mm-hmm. Uh we, are you more inclined to get into a bidding war with Someone like
0: that or less inclined? Are you trying to plan your strategy with how to deal with me? <laughs>